Well, good morning to those of you who are in the room here, uh, those of you down in the venue, and as well as those worshiping online uh, in your living room, uh, wherever you're at. Great to be together this morning. Wanted to remind you that tonight is our monthly uh, prayer gathering. We, we gather as a church once a month to pray. Uh, we're doing this online, and so uh, through a Zoom link, we, we gather together and pray. And Tonight, the theme will be around Advent kind of themes, and so i uh, love to have you join us. Uh, there's a little bit of connecting and, and a lot of praying, and it's a good time together. We start right at 6.30, so you want to be on a couple minutes early, and we are done at 7.30, so uh, it's, just, it's an hour of time together. So if, uh, if you want to join us, you can get the Zoom link through, uh, if you go to the Planning Center Events section, find the prayer online prayer event, and you'll find the Zoom link there, or you can go back to the e-blast from Tuesday. Uh, the link was shared there as well. Would you pray with me uh, before we go to the Word? Father, we are very grateful for this season where we are reminded of of you entering into our world, of a light entering into darkness. Thank you for the reminder of these truths as we worship you this morning. Father, we are thankful for the the good news this past week of a, a vaccine being approved and and being ready to be dispensed even this week. Father, we thank you for the many men and women who have worked so hard to see this come to fruition. Thank you for the wisdom that you have given to them. We pray, God, that this vaccine would indeed be safe and effective in in stopping this pandemic. We pray that you would grant wisdom to those who make decisions about how best to get this vaccine to the most vulnerable in the coming days and ultimately to to people all over the United States and around the world over the next months. And Father, as we continue to live in these days, walk through these difficult days, would you give us endurance? We pray for doctors and nurses and all who are involved in the, the difficult task of caring for patients. Protect them and strengthen them. We pray for teachers and all involved in education. Lead them and guide them as they do the hard work of educating under such difficult circumstances. We know that they are putting in such long hours. Would you continue to sustain and strengthen them? We pray for families who continue to navigate all the challenges of this time as they juggle jobs and and, and then, you know, working with their kids as they they are in online or hybrid models or also, I mean, just so many uh, difficult things. Give them strength. Give them patience. We pray for students that uh, they would truly be able to learn during this time. God, we pray for business owners, that you would sustain them through this, this time, protect their businesses. We pray that you would protect jobs and the income of all. Father, we thank you for the ultimate hope that we have in you. Isaiah 53 that we're looking at this morning declares that, that by Jesus' wounds, We are healed. We know that at his first coming through Jesus' death and resurrection, he conquered all disease, all death. And that when he returns in his second advent, that that all of this will be put away. May we live in that hope today. Fathers, we come to the word now. We pray that you would lead and guide this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As a young boy, I was fortunate to have grown up in a, a believing family, uh, grown up going to church every single Sunday, church and Sunday school. So I learned about God from the earliest days. And uh, 
early on, I understood that God is holy and that I am not. I actually grew up in a faith tradition where we confessed our sins every single week. And so we said, we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We've not loved our, you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And I knew that that confession was true, that I was a sinner, that I fell short of God's holy standards. And though forgiveness was part of that confession, I just didn't get that. I didn't understand that. And so I lived with a sense of foreboding about what would happen to me when I die. I didn't know. Would I be okay with God? Would I go to heaven? This was, the, this was kind of the thinking that was running in the background of my mind for the first 18 years of my life. And so because of that, I just tried to be good. I tried to be really good. I was sort of operating out of a framework that if I could be more good than bad, that, that maybe I could be okay with God. It was sort of like I viewed him having a big scale that was measuring my works. And that at the end of my life, if the, the good outweighed the bad, if it could just tip it by a little bit, that maybe I would be okay. But, but how could I ever know if I was good enough? I couldn't. And so I lived with a kind of fear, a kind of anxiety around this. What I needed was forgiveness. What I needed was to know that I was forgiven. Do you relate to any of this? Do you relate to the, the worry, the concern, the, the not knowing, am I really forgiven? And if so, what do you do? What do you do about the guilt you feel? What do you do about the uncertainty of it all? You just try to not think about it. That's one approach, just like, I'm just not going to think about it. It's too hard. Or you can say, I'll, I'll think about it another day, but just not now. Someday, I will think about this important question. Or you can try to make yourself feel better by comparing yourself to someone else. Like, at least I'm better than that guy over there, so, so maybe I'm okay by comparison. Or you can try to redefine God's standards and, and tell yourself that surely the, the high standards for, for righteousness, for holiness that, that seems to be described in the Scripture, surely it can't be as high as that. And you redefine God. Or you can actually embrace the staggering truth of Christmas, that God's greatest gift actually meets your greatest need. God's greatest gift meets your greatest need for forgiveness. Do you remember what the angel told Joseph when he appeared to him in the dream, when Joseph was considering divorcing Mary? Joseph had discovered Mary's with child, and they're not married yet, and he was going to divorce her. And an angel, it says in Matthew, appeared to Joseph in a dream, and he tells Joseph not to be afraid to take Mary as his wife because the child that Mary was carrying was conceived of the Holy Spirit. And the angel said this, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. The staggering truth about Christmas is that it is this initiation of a plan that God had formed long ago. We're going to read about it in Isaiah 53, something that was recorded over 600 years before the coming of Jesus. The staggering truth about Christmas is that it's the initiation of a plan that God had formed long ago to save us 
from our sins to give us forgiveness. This Advent, we are studying four passages about the Messiah out of the book of Isaiah. We've, we've looked at how he, he meets our need for hope, how he meets our need for deliverance, and today we're looking about how he meets our need for forgiveness. If you were with us last week, uh, Steve preached on one of these passages in, uh, in Isaiah that's called Songs of the Servant. They're about the servant, the servant of the Lord. And uh, as you, there's four of these, and as you move to the last one, which we're going to look at today, it gets increasingly clear that the servant was an individual, and, and we understand that this individual ultimately is fulfilled in, in Christ. And so the fourth servant song is found in Isaiah 52. It starts in verse 13, goes all the way through the end of chapter 53, and I would encourage you to take time this week to, to, to read this passage slowly, meditate on it, reflect on it. For our purposes this morning, we are going to focus on 53 verses 4 through 6, which, which is really the, the heart and center of this passage. These verses teach that the servant's suffering secured our forgiveness. The servant's suffering secured your forgiveness and my forgiveness. And so it starts in verse 4, and it says, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. The servant of the Lord no doubt suffered. If you read this whole psalm, I mean, it's, it's brutal suffering that he suffered. Here it says he was stricken, smitten, and afflicted, which are te- terms that can speak of being struck or beaten, uh, tormented. Smitten can actually even go to the, the range of being killed. And the onlookers who are speaking here from their vantage point, when they say, yet yeah, we ourselves esteemed as stricken, smitten of God, they, they have the sense of surely he suffered these things for his sin. He's suffering for his sin. But as you go down to verse 9, Isaiah is very clear in this prophecy at the second half of this verse 9. It says, he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. The servant was innocent. He was not suffering for his own sin. It was for us. It was our griefs that he bore. It was our sorrows that he carried. We are the ones who have sinned. But the servant who we now know is Jesus, he bore our guilt and the consequences for our sin on the cross. Verse 5. So we thought it was his own sin. Verse 5. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. We are the ones who have walked in rebellion against God. We are the ones who have gone our own way. We have done our own thing. We are the ones full of iniquity and guilty before God. It was for this reason he was pierced through. It was for our transgressions. It was because of our sins that he was crushed, which has a sense of being broken in pieces or shattered. And, and these terms ultimately are, and, and just the, the, the piercing, the, the, the crushing, we know that ultimately that was what Jesus accomplished on the cross as he suffered for us, dying there. The text makes it abundantly clear that Jesus' suffering was for our sin, our sin. And by his suffering, the servant brings about that which we truly need. It goes on and says, The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, 
were healed. The punishment that Jesus received, the chastening that Jesus received, it was for our, our well-being. And well-being means shalom, it's peace, it's wholeness, it's peace with God. The next line says, by his scourging, we're healed. And scourging means wounds. Jesus was wounded that we might be healed. Sin has marred us. It has estranged us from God. It has made us sick in every sense of the word. But Jesus, through his wounds, he heals us. He heals us. And in verse 6, Isaiah makes it clear that, that no one escapes the need for this price to be paid for them. No one. It says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. All of us, each of us has turned away from God. We're like sheep that have wandered away. We've wandered out into the wilderness without a shepherd. We've rebelled before God, before a holy, righteous God. Each of us is guilty, sinful, and broken. And Scripture makes it abundantly clear that the wages of sin is death, Romans 3.23. A death has to be paid for sin. That's, that's When you read the Old Testament and see all the, the sacrificial system, it was always saying sin to be atoned for requires death. And so there were these animal sacrifices over and over again that pointed forward to the reality that there needed to be an ultimate fulfillment of payment for sin. A penalty for sin will be paid. It's demanded. The question is, by whom? can be by us, but Scripture declares that God intervened through His servant to pay that penalty. And so at the end of verse 6, it says, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. So the cross and the iniquity falling on Jesus, this wasn't some mistake, this wasn't some, you know, horrible accident of history, it was actually God's plan. It says the Lord caused The iniquity of us all, our sin, to be placed on him. The Lord caused it. It was his plan. And just as the start of verse 6 says, all of us have have gone astray, at the end it says, the iniquity of us all, the iniquity of all of us, it says the Lord has caused it to be placed on Jesus. A provision has been made for every one of us. Isaiah 53 is an amazing text written over 600 years before Jesus' birth. But how clear it is that the servant's suffering would secure our forgiveness. How clear it is that there's a need for a payment. This is a truth that after Jesus' death and resurrection, the, the New Testament writers affirm over and over again. There's a lot of passages we can look at, but, but let me take you to one. In Colossians 2, 13-14, the Apostle Paul says this, He says, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, Christ, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. At the cross, once and for all, Our sin was dealt with. God made a way to make us alive together with Christ, having forgiven us, what does it say? All of our transgressions. The servant's suffering secured our 
forgiveness. The angel was right. Jesus would save his people from their sins. God's greatest gift meets our deepest need for forgiveness. I want to ask you a question, a really important question. Do you know that you're forgiven? And do you really know? Do you know that you're forgiven? Really? And do you live in the truth of your forgiveness? Is it a truth that you live in and, and, and believe and walk in? If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. The servant suffered to secure your forgiveness. If you've trusted him, you are forgiven. I shared earlier how for the first 18 years of my life, I did not understand forgiveness. And so I was striving to earn my way with God. I was, I was trying to be good enough to somehow please God. But deep in my heart, I knew I was not good enough. And so I lived with a, a nagging sense of fear and about my ultimate well-being. Thankfully, in the first years of my uh, first weeks of my freshman year in college, God brought some people into my life that began to spend some time with me and, and share some things with me. They began to help me understand what Jesus had actually accomplished on the cross. And they took me to passages like the Colossians 2 passage that we, we looked at a little bit ago. And they helped me understand stand that when Jesus died on the cross, he made a payment for all of my transgressions. And that when I trusted him, he has taken it out of the way. They helped me understand that the moment I placed my faith in Jesus, I've been forgiven for all of my sins, past, present, and even future. It's all been taken out of the way. They helped me understand that I couldn't earn it. I couldn't earn my forgiveness. It was simply a matter of receiving by faith what Jesus had done. They, they shared Ephesians 2, 8, 9 with me. For by grace, you're saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not as a result of works that no one should boast. They helped me understand that what Jesus did on the cross was all gift, all grace, that I didn't, couldn't earn, I couldn't work for, I just receive it by faith. I believe in that. And as I began to understand my full and my complete forgiveness, fear and anxiety began to be replaced by peace and joy. Understanding that I was forgiven and therefore fully accepted by God changed everything in terms of how I related to God. I'd always been over here on the striving and earning and fearing, trying to be good enough for God. But they helped me understand that when I trust Jesus, it's all grace. And I begin to stand and live in the realm of grace. And that's where we rightly relate to God. That's where we draw near to God. It's really as we stand in grace that we grow and we thrive. And God can use us in the way that he wants us to. First time in my life I began to live in grace, and that changed everything. If you have trusted Jesus Christ, even as you continue to walk through your life and you continue to struggle with sin, because we all do, but if you have trusted in Jesus, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. By his wounds, you are healed in the ultimate sense. You are healed. You're accepted by God. You can stop trying to be good enough. 
You know, sometimes people think, well, if you say you're forgiven and we stop trying to be good enough, like, will we kind of begin to live recklessly? No, you're captivated, captivated by the love and grace of God, and it helps you ultimately live in a way that's more pleasing to Him. But, but it's out of grace. It's not out of earning. You're forgiven if you have trusted Jesus. You can live in His grace and God's love and acceptance. Now, I know because of opportunities to talk to people that, that you may actually believe this, that, that you're forgiven. When you trust Christ, you, you know that that's where forgiveness comes, but you may still struggle with, like, am I, am I really forgiven? Because I've had conversations like that with people I know who've embraced Christ, and yet they, they still wrestle with it. They still struggle. Is it really true in my life? I have a couple of thoughts for you that, uh, that maybe might be helpful. I think it's important to recognize that as believers, we have an enemy. We have an enemy who is a liar. The devil wants to lie to us about who God is and what God has done for us. And if he can get you to believe that you are not ultimately forgiven, that Jesus' death on the cross for you was not quite enough and you've got to keep earning it, he has you in a place where, where your relationship with God is going to be hindered. You won't be drawn near to him because of guilt and shame, and, and you won't be living in grace. You'll be over here in the earning side of things, and, and he will be, that will very much disrupt God's work in you and through you, even though God's still forgiving you. But if the enemy can get you to believe that you're not forgiven, it's very disruptive. So you just need to remember that. Uh, there is a liar. The other thing you need to do is just sort of saturate your mind with truth. Saturate your mind with what the Scripture actually says. Focus on the cross. Return to passages like Isaiah 53. Return to passages like Colossians 2, 3 through 14, as well as others, to be reminded that a price has been paid, that all your transgressions have been forgiven. They've been taken out of the way through Jesus' death on the cross. Declare this truth to yourself over and over again. You're accepted, not because you're good enough, but because of faith in Jesus and because of forgiveness, choose to live in that truth. I know that there are others in this room uh, watching as well that, that maybe have not yet trusted Christ. Today may be the first time you've ever really seen, oh, what he did on the cross, it actually is for me and for my forgiveness. It may be the first time you've realized I need to be forgiven. Or maybe you've heard it before and you just have never been quite ready to say, I'm ready to trust Christ. Here's the thing we all must think about. A price for sin must be paid. It's going to be paid by someone. It can be you or it can be another. That other is the servant. The servant suffered to secure your forgiveness. On the cross, Jesus paid for your sins to give you wholeness and restoration with God. But what Jesus did on the cross requires a response. Requires a response. And that famous verse, John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Moved by love, God gave his son to keep us from perishing and to give us eternal life. Instead, this is God's greatest gift to meet your deepest need. But a response is required. You must trust 
Jesus, when, when anyone does that, the moment they believe it, the moment they reach out in faith and belief, he or she receives full forgiveness of sin and eternal life. Is today the day that you're ready to say yes to Jesus and the provision that he's made for your sin? Receiving the gift of forgiveness is at the same time both hard and simple. Hard and easy. It's hard in the sense that it requires you to humble yourself. It's hard in the sense that you have to acknowledge, I'm not enough. That I'm actually sinful. That I am one who has walked in rebellion against God. It requires that we we do the hard work of acknowledging that about ourselves. It's hard in the sense that we have to say, God, I've been going my own way. I've been doing my own thing. I'm going to turn. I'm going to begin to go your way. So it's hard, but at the same time, it is easy and simple and that it's a simple matter of just by faith looking to Jesus and the provision he made on the cross and saying, I believe, I trust that that is for me. It's the simplest thing in the world. If this is something that you want to do this morning, I believe there are some that today is a day that you want to say yes to what Jesus has done. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. I want to give you an opportunity to express belief. And, and so what I want to do, I'm going to actually pray a, a prayer that you can pray to God this morning. These, these are not like magical words, but they're a way to express faith. And so if, if you want to trust, reach out and trust what Jesus did for you on the cross, I'm going to pray. And, and just in your heart, this is just between you and God, you quietly, silently in your heart, you can pray to God and he'll hear you. And so I invite you to pray with me if you would like to pray this. And if, if you're one who has, has already made this decision, uh, maybe have someone in mind that you are praying for in this time. Would you pray with me? God, I come to you today and I admit that I need your forgiveness. I admit that I'm a sinner and that I have rebelled against you. I have gone my own way. And I've done my own thing. Jesus, I am sorry. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and that you paid the penalty that I deserve to pay. I receive you, Jesus, as my Savior and as my Lord. Thank you for forgiving me all my sin. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. Today, I choose to stop going my own way and I choose to follow you. If you prayed that prayer in genuine faith, you can know God's heard you. He's responded. He has answered. He has forgiven you based on what Jesus did on the cross and he's made you his child. I would encourage you to tell a friend. I'd love to know as well. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you that you sent him into this world as a baby that one day he would suffer and through that suffering he would secure our forgiveness. Thank you that by his wounds we are healed. Thank you that the punishment he endured was for our well-being. God, help us to live in these truths. May we swim in the deep waters of your grace and your limitless forgiveness. And out of these truths, may we 
have grateful hearts and follow you fully and please you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us? Together upon. 